0: G'day punters, and welcome to Tabs Inside 50, Nick Quinn as per usual joined by Shane Crawford And Shane you're already smiling before (laughs) I've introduced the guest, what's up? It's so
1: nice to see you Quinny, do you know what the protest bell's going off at the moment Because you're wearing a black suit, you've got these dark brown shoes I don't think that's style, I think that's a wrong type of style to be operating
0: But I've got a brown belt. Don't you match the shoes and the belt?
1: No, I think if we put a picture of you on Instagram somewhere and said, "Okay, describe this fashion setup,"
0: it's a bit of a cardinal sin, really. Yeah, it would be
1: a bit of a disaster. But you know what? It's great to see your smiling face.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll do that. And I've always (laughs) opened to suggestions with my fashion. It's always got room for improvement. And one man that has no room for improvement got very nice brown shoes in the fashion department, but with
1: jeans, blue jeans. I was dressed by my Tip. wife this morning. Oh, we? Very good. <laughs> <laughs> Let us welcome our
0: guest, Brad Odden. a man who played 245 AFL games, kicked 261 goals, won three premierships. Welcome to the Fashion Podcast. <laughs> Thank
1: you, Quinny. Uh, I might learn something today, hopefully. Three, now, <laughs> three premierships. See, I, I, didn't, I didn't do all my research. I knew he had a couple, but not three. He so, says he what, should have had
0: four. Oh, what, oh. at
1: Richmond? No. Right. Oh, okay, it's you want to go cheeky there. cheeky yeah. one. <laughs> it didn't take long. No, but it, 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 <laughs> I always say, but the next year, it motivated them to win, Not and really. they <laughs> they cursed poor Saint Kilda because mm. that was their chance. So it's funny how it all sort of rolls on, and you know, mentally, you know, you just bring it and learn from experiences. But three, that's that's greedy. Like when you think <laughs> about it, you're pretty blessed as a footballer. And I, I know, as Quinny always says, you jump ahead and we want to start from where it all started. But when you think about it, you're at Richmond, you make a change, you head down to beautiful Geelong, which has got a, a a great... Well, it's got a great history, but you, all the players talk about the connection and what a wonderful place. And then you win three flags. So you must, in retirement now, you must just pinch yourself, thinking how lucky was I to be a part of such a, a great culture.
2: Yeah, without a doubt, Croft, it was... Um you know to 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 be lucky enough to play in finals is a great experience in footy and that's uh, that's a goal for everyone but then to play in a, one premierships uh you, you know is a is a is a really really lucky position to be in but to to be able to be part of such a successful team in such a successful era and playing you know three premierships and four four grand finals was something that yeah I always I do reflect on and and with a lot of gratitude for sure
1: Take us back to where it all started, because Quinny's looking at me, going, "Hey, what are you doing?" So, what about footy for you? You know, where did you grow up, and was AFL your first love from a sporting point of view, or did you do all types of sports? And being probably tall mm. as a, a youngster, basketball probably was one that dragged you to uh, be a part of that as well.
2: Yeah, I, well, I grew up in the Northern Territory as a kid, so and quite remote part. Of, a lot of lot of my sort of childhood was was on a cattle station actually so not a long way from any sort of team sports or or anything so I was I was um a bit of a late starter to footy I you know grew up riding horses and playing you know riding my motorbike around and you know on a remote cattle station so it was a a long way from it was a bit of a different sort of
1: and so was that cows or yeah
2: it was on a cattle station in the sort of almost in the centre of the Northern Territory for a big part of it so then I went away to to boarding school and um Yes, yeah, so I grew up as a as a child. You know, it was it was a long way from, you know, Cutley <laughs> House from the from the nearest town, and you'd sort of go and pick up some some groceries or whatever on a weekend, and have a kick of the footy with a couple of mates there, and, and that was about my that was about the extent of my connection to footy as a kid, and yeah, then went away. Where, to,
1: where was your boarding school? Where was that?
2: Uh, in Adelaide, I went away. I oh, so board, you went, went all the way to Adelaide.
1: Yeah. So, so you'd be on the farm, and obviously you ride your horses and um, you know your motorbike, but. What about from a sporting point of view? Did you kick the footy? Did you have a footy to kick around?
2: I had an old footy that I used to kick around the cattle yards, and dad dad was a played for Sturt in in the SANFL, and was you know was a pretty successful footballer in his own right. Um, and so I grew up seeing the pictures and sort of with his footy mates and talking, you know, hearing about footy and stuff. But um, and he he'd kick with me a lot. Just we you know in between work and that, and I've got a little. My little boy's six years old now. And he pesters me, kicking kicking yeah. the footy around with him. And I, was, I think I was exactly the same. I just used to pester dad whenever he got a chance, and in between work and whatever. So um, I, I definitely had a connection to footy, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't have. I wouldn't have known. Would have barely watched a game of footy as a kid, and never was into the, you know, the things of like footy cards and all those sorts of things that. That probably a lot of my a lot of my mates that I grew up that I went through the through my career playing had playing with obviously had a you know, would have grown up living and breathing footy, but that was a little bit different for me. So, um, yeah, it was a bit of a different sort of connection to footy, I suppose, in in my early years.
1: And someone like Nick Quinn... How would he stand up taking him out to that cattle station for a couple of weeks, you know, <laughs> operates in a suit, in doesn't shoes. sort of... <laughs> <laughs> brown shoes might go well out that way. No, he With would them. have
2: been all right. He just, uh, I think, once you get used to the dust and the heat and the flies and everything everything else is pretty right. And so hey, what about the snakes? There's snakes? A lot of snakes, yeah. yeah. There's snakes in the house. Mum, mum used to love that. Yeah, in the house? Was. Oh, mate, there was King Browns in our lounge room and... Oh, one one nearly ate the cat one day, I think, mum <laughs> came, around <and laughs> came around the a, a veranda of the house and there was a big like two oh, metre king brown snake face to face with their beautiful Burmese cat that was, um, so that wasn't, yeah, mum didn't love the snakes too much, I didn't love them either actually, I hated the snakes, but no. a lot of, uh, yeah, a lot of, it was, yeah. So, so of, how,
1: how far from a shop were you, or how far from a town or a hospital? So you well, get bitten by a snake, how far to the hospital?
2: Dad broke his pelvis falling off a horse and he was in the he was in an ambulance. He was waiting for six hours oh. for the ambulance to come and pick him up and then so it was about probably three and a half hours to the nearest Oh my goodness. So you you get a
1: you're getting bit by a snake. Yeah, um, you're in a bit of strife for a bit there. You're dead.
2: It's um Yeah. Look it's it was very remote. It was very um it was wild as a kid, you know, I I l I couldn't have imagined a better childhood growing up as a kid. Um Wrestling snakes in the living room, no <laughs> fence. Um, oh, you know, that stuff was wasn't great, but it was more you know, just like oh, just whip around on the motorbike and you just had a freedom that you'd lived out in this place that was so far from anywhere and um you could you dis- you know, you literally disappear, which probably you know, it was very remote and um you know there's a there's a bit of a there's a freedom that comes with that and you know, it's big change coming to the big smoke to go to boarding school and um yeah it's it's amazing where life Takes you, but as a you know, as a kid, it was a it was a great upbringing. What was the
1: school called that you went to? The boarding uh, school. Uh, it
2: was a school of the air, so it was over. It was a correspondence schooling. So you used to I used to jump on a on a two way radio of of a of a, <laughs> yeah. of a morning, and Mum was our school teacher. So my sister and I were living out there with with Mum and Dad, obviously, and brother had already gone to boarding school. So we'd we'd set up in the classroom, and Mum and Mum and Dad uh, us you know, teachers do the, the days sort of schooling, and we jump on the radio to talk to our classmates and the teacher and stuff. And yeah, that was that was how it was done. You so Catherine School, of the air it was called.
1: You want to do that with your kids?
2: Homeschool. <laughs> I tried a bit of homeschooling, <laughs> and Johnny was in in prep when he was when we were in the middle of it, and and I did a lot of outdoor education. That was when I was when I was the teacher for the day. That was I was outside. Yep. Looking at birds or something, I didn't have much. <laughs> <laughs> so no, to answer your question, no, I, I think I'll, I think I'll give the homeschooling a miss. It's It's great fascinating, you know. It's fascinating oh, yeah. to know and
1: your upbringing, and somehow you find yourself in the, in the in the big time. You know, playing AFL footy and and being amongst a But quitting. it's quite amazing. You know, growing up and having that upbringing.
0: And how did you go the transition to the boarding school? Because that would have been probably a bigger shock to the system than going to the AFL.
2: Yeah, it was it was a big change. I um. Spent probably the first year and a half just wanting to go home. I was very, very homesick and, you know, I found that pretty difficult. But once once I settled in, and, I you know, footy was a big part of it. I found footy and and I found connections with people through sport and, you know, mostly sport at school. I, you know, I enjoyed school. But, yeah, the boarding house environment was amazing. By the time I'd sort of settled in, it took a long time to, to sort of find my feet. But then you settle in and you're living with you know 50 of your best mates and you're just kicking the, there's always someone to kick the footy with or you know to do anything with play tennis or basketball or whatever so um yeah by the end of it I loved it sporting school was was the greatest you know the easiest time in your life and um yeah I've looked back on that time really fondly but it was pretty tough to start with
1: What about when you have exit weekends um you know or holidays at boarding school you know I loved boarding school pretty much f- exactly for the reason you said you know the connection you have with all your mates didn't do much work, but seems we had a lot of fun. And you know, the exit weekends, we'd often I'd go. Okay, I'm coming to your house. So you'd end up down at Mount Eliza, mm. you know, and in, in a different part of the world, or you'd go bush somewhere. So did you take anyone back with you to the no, middle was, or the top of Australia? It was too
2: far away, so <laughs> I couldn't sneak home for a weekend. I used to have to, I used to just have to side up to someone. The weekend was coming up, and I'd have to say, oh. you know, I'm coming to. Yep. Whether you like it or not, I'm coming to your joint <laughs> because I can't go home. So <laughs> I used to go. oh, I loved it. Like I, like you say, I you know I had mates from sort of the southeast area and you know gra- you know farmers and stuff. So we'd go home and shoot shoot foxes and that, and it was yep. and then Pest. mates from the yeah we we'd, yep. <laughs> we'd uh, oh it was yeah it was you great, were allowed mate. to back then. You could yeah, shoot anything. Yeah, didn't get into didn't get into it was a bit more liberal those days, but. um, yeah no I was, I loved those weekends were, were great because we you know you'd you'd pick a different mate and you'd go somewhere new and yep. and um it, you know the, all my mates families became my own family so it was um
1: and what what was the boarding school called?
2: Uh, Manual College yep. in, in okay. Adelaide yeah yep. so no it was um yeah as I say great easiest years of your life where you got three meals on the table and your washing gets done for you <laughs> and all you got to do is make your bed in the morning which I'd was probably the food be...
1: a touch dodgy though like oh, our food f- was we're, they were giving us off pies. T- about two years out of date <laughs> at one stage. I think the chef got sacked at one stage. But do you know what, we kept eating them <laughs> yeah. With it not really taste like a four and <laughs> twenty. A bit chunky and you know? I'm not sure what that bit was, but we kept eating. But um, you know, yeah, yeah probably the food wasn't a bit more upmarket than the school I went to.
2: <laughs> nah no, nah, it was much the same. It was um but you know what it was like in your teenage years you just eat whatever's thrown in front of you. So you just um, when it was good you'd eat for yep. the seconds and thirds, and when it was no good, you might have one plate and just complain about it. But no, nah, it was it was all served up for you, and you didn't have to think about it. So I was I was happy with yep. I was happy with that.
0: Tell us about the footy win. It come on the radar for you. That hang on a sec. I'm pretty good at this caper. I might be able to make a fist of it.
2: Ah, uh, well, I I basically got into footy when I went to school. So great year eight, um, and it took a little while to to sort of work out. Um, you know it, what I was doing. Really, I had no no idea what was going on. I Didn't have that background of. Of, as a kid growing up with footy, so I probably probably played. I reckon about halfway through my year ten year, you know, three years after you know a few years of, of experience in footy, I started to work out that I was going okay. I, got, I was always pretty tall um for my age, so that was when I started you know being picked in state teams and that sort of thing. That and it just became sort of it came pretty naturally to me as a kid. So. Yeah, it was probably around that fifteen age that I started to work out that it was something that I was, you know, I was I was pretty good at and uh, I really enjoyed it. I just lived and breathed it. And who you did know, you barrack for? The cats, actually. Oh, well, you were a, a cat I supporter. Was a mad. all my mates were were crows and you know, mostly mostly the crows. Um. So why why the cats? Uh, I just loved Gary Ablett. I just um, mm-hmm. yeah, just grew up. My brother loved loved the cats, and I sort of. Everything he did, I did basically, and so I sort of just followed along with him. And yeah, I just, I just—that was probably my earliest memories—is is Gaz and Billy and you know those guys, you know Couchy and those guys. They were sort of they were my yeah. heroes as a kid.
1: And then you end up playing with the great Gary Ablett Junior. Mm. Um, he turns out okay. Yeah, as a he wasn't too bad, <laughs> was he? <laughs> I'm sure that he loved you as well, hitting it down his throat and putting oh, it I into space wherever him, he always could. Always made him look pretty good over yeah <laughs>
2: No, he had a good, he had a great ability of making everything look good, little Gary. So it was, um, yeah. yeah, they're the, you know, the, the players you pinch yourself, and they're the ones I'll tell tell my boys about for sure. He's definitely one of them.
0: Yeah, I'm going to do a Crawford jump ahead here. Did you <laughs> see much of Gary Senior around the club when you were at Geelong?
2: Uh, a little bit, obviously with little Gaz there. Um, and I, I remember the first time I saw him, he walked into the rooms, and as I said, I grew up, I had a mug of. Garablet mug that I used to make my my <laughs> Milo every night on study at boarding school, and I looked at him and I just couldn't, I didn't even know where to look. I couldn't talk to him. There's no way. It took took me about four times of meeting him to actually even be able to have a conversation with, with Gaz Senior. He had this amazing presence about him, and and yeah, I, you know, the, from the moment I was recruited to the Cats, I just thought I can't wait. I'm gonna meet Gaz Senior at some stage, and and yeah, it was um, he was around a lot actually. He was off, you know, in the rooms after games and. You know, and a, and a really humble, nice bloke. He was a really nice bloke to speak to. And, and he, you know, the, his boys are a credit to, to him as a person, the, the way they grew up. They're, they're great people. And yeah, but as a, when I first met him the first few times, I, I, was, I was just a fanboy. I just wanted to follow him around.
0: <laughs> G'day, punters. Once again, we're going to Tab's leading bookmaker, Bart Kennett, for the Sunday play. Bart,
3: what have we got this week? We're offering $4.50 for Nick Larkey and Toby Green to combine for seven or more goals on Sunday afternoon. Now this game will be played under the roof at Marble, so with perfect conditions we should see plenty of goals. Nick Larkey's is averaging 2.8 goals alone this year under the roof, whilst Toby has been in red-hot form since returning from his suspension, averaging 2.5 goals a game for the season. Now it's the third game for interim coach Mark McVay, who looks to have brought a more attacking style of play to the Giants. How do you see this one playing out, Croof?
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think it'll be a shootout, perfect conditions under the roof and plenty of goals, so it uh, looks a winner to me.
0: Thanks for that, Bart. Thanks for that, Crawford. And remember, Punders, you can find the offer on the Tab app. Offer available online only. Price subject to change and subject to liability cap. No multi-bonus cash cash-out, partial cash-out or live bets qualify. See market page for details. Gamble responsibly. Gambler's help. 1-800-858-858.
4: The winter chill is in the air, but the AFL is only heating up. And with Tab's same game multi, you can combine your favourite AFL markets, like head-to-head, total points and anytime goal scorer, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game played this round. Check it out on the Tab app today. Tab, long may we play.
3: Gamble responsibly. Call Gambler's Help. 1-800-858-858.
4: So from one
1: extreme to the other, because you, you talk about Gary Ablett, but you said Billy Brownless. So, you know, you couldn't get, once you start talking to Billy, you can't get rid of him, you know. <laughs> so the absolute opposite, but, uh, you know, legendary. Yeah,
2: good, amazing people. And, you know, Bill's always around the club. He's always, you know, he's, we're in. G'day, we Coco, go-co. That's G'day. all it says. G'day, Coco. G'day, Coco And then, you know, you could sit, he's the bloke. That you could sit and talk to forever and, you know, you go to, the, you go to his pub and, we you know, you, you you go with your mates and you finish up sitting with Bill and having a chat with him. Cause you he's end up just...
1: working behind the bar serving Bill. That's what <laughs> happens when you go to his pub.
2: You sneak a few for yourself as well, though. That's all right. So it's, it all works out all right. But, no, they're good. You know, th- that was one of the things that I probably connected with Geelong. You know, the people in Geelong were always, you know, there's great people around the Richmond Footy Club, but... um the the culture around the Geelong Footy Club, it's like it's just like a country town and um, the people down there were, were, were really I don't know, it's just people that I seem to be able to connect with pretty well. I really, really enjoyed enjoyed that.
0: Now, going to the 1997 National Draft, Fremantle, as only Fremantle could do, traded away the number two overall selection to Richmond, and Richmond were very, very pleased. They took you with that second selection. It was a great draft. Mm. The top 11 players all played 100 games or more, and some of the key names, Trav Johnston went one, Trent Crowe three, Luke Power five, Chris Tarrant eight, Chad Corns nine, Nick Stevens 25, Simon Black 31, Adam Goods 43, and your brother Luke at pick 50. It must have been a very special day. For you and the family,
2: it was, mate. Yeah, it was. It was. Um.
1: So is your brother older or younger? He's
2: four years older than me. Yeah, right. Um. And he he'd had, you know, he'd showed really good signs as a as a younger player. But he, you know, he was probably he'd had a few injuries and stuff. So I was really hopeful that he got drafted as well because I sort of knew by that stage that Richmond had sort of committed to me by that stage before the the draft that they were most likely going to pick me up. Um. But so I sort of went into the day just thinking, I hope. My brother gets picked up as well because it was just, I knew mm. that it meant a lot to him. and um,
1: What a special day.
2: Yeah, so it was really, it was great. I w- went to the draft and he was at home and so we you know, managed to, and I went along with mum and um, he got drafted to Melbourne and so mum and my brother and I all moved to Melbourne because mum had a, had a business back in those days that she was happy to move to Melbourne and so it worked out. It was a great move, you know, it was a great Time for us because it was just a, a it was a time of you know just a, a big adventure and we all did it together as a as a, and my sister finished up moving moving to Melbourne as well so yeah it, it was a good it was a great time
0: and most teams get the number two pick because they're second last on the ladder that wasn't the case for Richmond as we said they traded that for selection and the Tykes, they were feeling pretty good about themselves they had that great 1995 they made the prelim they finished ninth no laughing thank you in 1996 <laughs> and in 1997 they finished just half a game outside the top eight. So you went to a team that was Was that picking. ninth again? No, it wasn't. It was actually 13th, but it was oh, only yeah. half a game outside the eight. So you went to a team that was going well and they thought they were heading in the right direction.
2: Yeah, we yeah we were. It was, you know, we were, in, we were sort of in a pretty good spot. It's sort of strangely that just sort of continued, that sort of pattern without, you know, jokes aside, but it was just a... It was unfortunately, we just, we had great... We had great talent around the club, but we just didn't, we just, for whatever reason, couldn't find that level of consistency in our performance in those early days. You know, we just sort of just kept playing okay, and then we'd, you know, you know you're a Richmond supporter, you know the story. It was just, um, I remember just being blown away with the, the history of the Richmond Footy Club. When I first got there, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't know... You know, as I said, my footy background was pretty limited, so I didn't know a huge amount about footy. I sort of probably didn't. I should have looked at, you know, done a looked into the the history a bit more of Richmond. But I just remember being hit a bit hit pretty strongly by the just the it was just the big Melbourne club, and I didn't really appreciate it, having grown up watching footy in Adelaide and stuff, and the, everything was about the Crows and Port Power. And um, so yeah, that was one of my first memories. Is just that this is just a big, very passionate you know traditional historic club and so that was one of the things that I remember um, and being a bit overawed by it almost to start with but it was a it was a, it was a huge honour being part of the, the Richmond footy club at any time because it's just to play for one of those big one of the big Melbourne clubs is is an experience in itself and to experience what comes with it you know the passionate supporters and um, all those things that you you yeah, you know, when I reflect, I feel really lucky to have been a part of being a part of the, the Richmond Footy Club when I was. So,
1: so those players were Matthew Knights. Was he there? Uh, Wayne Campbell. Yeah. Nick Daffy. Was, Nick Duffy. That, Richo. Um, Matty Richardson. Uh, um, Brendan who Gale was was a Brendan good, now um, runs a show. Yeah. Um, yeah, a lot, of, everything, a lot of a lot of good players, you know, for that football club, and um, you know, because I was a Richmond supporter, you know, so always even playing against them, he always had a bit of a soft spot, even though. They never drafted me. Um, <laughs> they came and watched me once, and I didn't play very well. And uh, there goes my chance. But um, but anyway, we all move on, and it all works out. <laughs> Got so over it. Obviously. Yeah, you, you get well. over it. But yeah, as you said, great history. But you know, some amazing players like Richo. You would love to play with Matty Richardson because. Oh his emotions come out right in front of you. You know exactly what he's thinking. He's happy to spray you, but then he's happy to praise you. And, you know, he can miss <laughs> a goal from 10 metres out and then he can take a miraculous mark and kick one from 60 out. So, uh, he, and he, he had the long hair back then, you oh, know, sort of um, big Fabio, the most beautiful uh, man in the Cosmo. He was channeling that type of look. my first training
2: session and Richo, was the, it was a bit like the Gaz moment. I, just, I remember seeing big Richo and he's just, as you say, flicking the hair back and... Nick Daffy had the big mane back in those days and Cambo had a fair head of hair. Nida no, never did. he just had the
1: Yeah, that's it. Wayne Campbell had the long hair there for a while, didn't he? Yeah, they
2: were, and they were all, you know, these big rock stars. Now and running all.
1: the Gold Coast.
2: Yeah, yeah, he's a very, very good operator, Cambo. But, um, yeah, I was just a mate. I just, you're just looking around and you would have you know what it's like when you first get drafted. You're used to watching these people on telly and, you know, talking about him in the schoolyard and whatever and then all of a sudden you're at training beside him having a try and yeah, you know, hold your own against them or whatever. So it was um it's just such a shock and um but those guys were, you know, th- there were such big personalities too, you know, Richo was just this megastar. Yep. And and Daff and Campbell were probably a bit like that too. And um so yeah, you you just it just blows you away as a kid, and as a seventeen year old just walking into that environment, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a shock, but it's um it's a great experience. Was Paul Bullis playing then? Yeah, big bully was yeah, there. Yeah, down back. <laughs> yeah, Michael Gale as well, and Mark Miranda. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had a great team. We just, um, you know, and we and Paul Broderick was another one who was a, who was in his prime back back in those days. So. Um, yeah. uh, I can
1: still remember even at Southern Cross Station now, but it's Spencer Street. But as a young kid wandering through there, even when Richmond weren't winning, you'd always see people coming out of the pubs and that mm-hmm. and they've all got their Richmond tops on so they have an amazing supporter group don't they uh, and they've they, been through a lot go, and thankfully you know they came out the other side and had some great success but they've always had some really loyal and very vocal mm-hmm. and passionate supporters
2: yeah that was something that you know as you spend more time there you just grows on you know the importance it is to how important the club is to people and Back in those days, they used to have the, the the old social club was still going. So we'd go, we'd play a game at the G, and um, my very first game was against Essendon in round one, and I knew nothing about this social club. People would talk about talked about it and whatever, but you go back there and it's just the theme song gets played over and over again, and they just they're just hanging from the so walls. So you obviously won your first. game? We won the first game against Essendon. Yeah. How'd you we, go? Oh, not great. I spent the first half. I spent a fair bit of the time on the bench. It was back in those days that, you know, you could go the three quarters. Rotations the bench. Weren't, no, didn't wasn't, exist. <laughs> Geish wasn't wasn't that keen on throwing <laughs> in there. Until, uh, and at one at half-time, he told me to stop looking at the crowd and start playing. And then eventually, I, I took a couple of grabs in the, in the second half and did couple of things but it wasn't it wasn't a, a debut to get too carried away with mate
0: yeah you mentioned the crowd 70,200 for your first what game round one 1998 and it was a come from behind victory over the Bombers the Tiger Army were <laughs> up and about it was a very special day
2: it was yeah it was amazing because we were you know that it was probably one of them yeah you, know, you remember a lot all the as many of the games as you can sort of try to but obviously your first one's pretty special and um that you know, I'd never seen that many people growing up and kid in the Northern Territory, so I was pretty amazed at just the, the the noise of the crowd and um but yeah, to win against you know, obviously as I say I didn't probably didn't appreciate how important it was um as a young kid, but to yeah, to win against Dessin and at the G on in your in your first game in front of a big crowd was that was a was a nice way to start.
0: And then a couple of years later, we're gonna skip ahead to two thousand and one. You were simply sensational. You kicked forty seven goals in the season. Mick Malthouse anointed you the best player in the competition after you dismantled Collingwood <laughs> and you get the Tigers back to the finals. Hadn't won a final in so long. What was it like that first week up against the bombers, nearly eighty thousand in attendance?
2: Yeah, it was it was a huge I remember it being a huge build up because of the you know, the, the history and the you know, how long it had been since since the Tigers had been there and um, all the ninth finishes and all those things, it was it was a huge build-up to the finals. I remember we played Essendon in the round twenty-two um, and beat them to finish top four. So we had to we had to win to finish top four. And you know they started she started taking all their best players off halfway through the you know because we'd won sort of won that round twenty-two game by the end you know by halfway through the last quarter. And so he started taking all these players off and. It, remember during the week everyone was saying how disrespectful it had been so there'd been a big build-up in the media about you know this this grudge match against against the the bombers and um i think it probably got the better of us because we didn't perform all that well in that first final we all just we played pretty poorly i think we got pretty pretty convincingly beaten so um it took a bit of the air out of the out of the whole thing but um we did come up against carlton the following week in a in a qualifying final i think that was and 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 you know we played really well and we became you know it was the first won the first final richmond final for a long time and um and so we you know it was a great year we'd had a we'd had a really good year it was spud's second year i think as a coach so we'd sort of there'd been a lot of change around the club in the year, couple of years previous to that and um it felt like it was a time of, ch- of real change around the club and we you know it was a, it was a bit of a turning point um you know it, we came up against Brisbane up there and and lost the prelim pretty convincingly. But we I remember coming off that year thinking that's a really good. We'd made a real real progress in where we were as a club and as a culture and stuff. Um, but you know for whatever reason it sort of didn't continue on. But it was a it was a great year to be a part of the club because of. The, f- the years of sort of disappointment and, you know, probably s- substandard performance and then to have a year like that, which was, almost felt like a little bit of a breakout year, was, it was great to be a part of that.
0: And a bit stiff in many ways as well because the two teams that played off in that grand final were two of the all-time great teams in Essendon or Brisbane. Now, you mentioned Danny Frawley and now that brings me to my game, which is called Fact or Fiction. Because we've heard this story a few times and you're involved and we want to find <laughs> out if it's true. You'd had a couple of refreshments... And a very kind police officer said, why don't you come back to our establishment and just sleep it off and we'll make a phone call. (laughs) And you rang Danny Frawley. Danny Frawley walked in to bail you out. And your response was, Spud, what did they get you for? (laughs)
2: Well, it's not quite true. Um, (laughs) We knew that would (laughs) be
1: the
2: the, Most of it's true. The the one part is that I didn't call Spud myself. The police officers kindly called. Thought they'd ring Spud um, at 3 o'clock in the morning tell him to come and pick me up, so I walked out of the cell, my <laughs> mate and I, my mate from Adelaide, I'll blame him, it was his fault, but I was just trying to help him. and Yeah, of course. Um, which you've got to do. It happened
1: happen to my mates plenty of times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so we've staggered out and I thought it, was, it must have been three, 3 o'clock in the morning and I thought at least I can go home and I can sleep a bit, you know, and then I'll face the music in the morning, because the one bloke I was probably most terrified of seeing was Spud. And so I thought I'll just, I'll get home and I'll and, you know, I'll, I'll just get as much sleep as I can and then what happens after that happens. It's, I mean, I, I knew I was in a fair bit of strife at that stage. So I walk out of the cell and there's a bit of a bit of a hallway and then you walk into the foyer of the police station and there's Spud standing there, steam coming out of his ears. He's filthy, <laughs> looks at me and he's just... I didn't, and I just thought, I, the one person I didn't expect to see was, was Spud, of all people. So I just was a bit gobsmacked and couldn't think of anything else other than say, Spud, what are you doing here? They get you too. <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: actually more factual than I thought it would that's be, though. Because most good. of the stories we put to the guest, they're like, no, no, no. But that's almost a carbon copy of what <laughs> do we you know, did I, here. I think
1: deep down he would have loved it. like <laughs> I he, do.
2: he did laugh a bit, Crawf. His yeah. shoulders sort of shrugged a bit, and then he told me to pull my head in, go and get in the car, and I'm taking it home. Yeah,
1: well, yeah. he had to. He's a coach, but he was a trouble. Well, not a troublemaker, but he, uh, he had plenty of times with Tony Lockett Traveling down from Ballarat, where he caused a bit of trouble. So I think, and being from the bush as well, I'm I'm sure you had a, a really good connection with him because he was that type of guy.
2: He was, yeah, he was a great man, Spud, and um, yeah, he was he was great to me. He was really he was a really good um, mentor and um, and a guidance for me. He was almost more like a father figure, I suppose, because I was I was young when he came to the club, and he you know he sort of took me under his wing a lot. We he took us back to back to Bungaree and showed us his farm and you know he was he was a great great character and he was um yeah he was I was really lucky to have to have him in my life.
0: At the end of the 2004 season you depart Richmond and go to Geelong what led to that?
2: Um well it had been a pretty tough few years at the Tigers you know from that 2001 year we just things sort of unraveled sort of pretty much ever since that and um and my form was probably pretty indicative of that really you know i'd sort of had a few injuries um in that time in that sort of 3 years and my and i'd you know my my probably sort of footy development had had gone in a certain direction up until about 2001 and then it just sort of started to sort of flatten out and um to the point where i was i was sort of looking at just i, I probably knew deep down that if i didn't if I didn't make some sort of change, then that was probably just going to continue, and um, so I felt like I needed to, I needed to challenge myself to get away, f- you know, to make a change in my career because it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a turning. It was a smack bang in the middle of my career, and I felt like I needed to, to make a change to get more out of out of my career. So um, that was it. it was, Sparta just got sacked, and I felt like you know I wasn't probably in a in a state in a sort of in a mental sort of. Capacity to want to to want to start with another coach. I wanted to just make a change, a, a clean slate, and so um, got to the end of that year and just decided and asked for a trade, basically. And then Geelong were luckily enough Sydney and Geelong were both pretty keen and pretty interested in in you know me making the switch, or whatever. And and eventually just said, I want to. I love the idea of living in Geelong and love the love the look of the Geelong club and the list. And they had a great list of young of young players and. I wanted to make Gary Ablett senior, so <laughs> Geelong was a, was a
0: place for me. So luckily, it worked out. So you two nearly could have played together at the Swans in two thousand and five. Well,
1: might have been, yeah. It might have been good times, but um, <laughs> it's you know what, are the, what do they say, sliding doors? Sliding doors um, yeah, yeah it's, it's such a fine line when you sort of look back. Uh, but so at Richmond, because you were good at kicking goals, you did play a lot, obviously, in the forward line. But you you weren't playing. Full games in the ruck at times were you? No, was I was playing
2: mostly. You know, Smacker Brennan Gar was probably the number one ruck. Well, he and I sort of yep. rucked and spent time forward, basically. So he was probably the one that would start. He was, I guess, you'd say he was our number one ruckman, and I'd, I'd, um, I'd spend periods of the game. We'd probably just split it for sixty forty or something. So yeah, I was spending time in both, and um, and it was working working reasonably well. But it just my form and my I guess yeah. I just my development, uh, you know, probably just didn't didn't go in the direction that anyone would have wanted to. So it was time to move.
1: And so with Geelong, did they when you met with them? And also you said yeah, you know this sort of fits. Was it all about playing a lot more in the ruck and through the middle?
2: No, it was actually the opposite. Was it? Bomber Bomber said we want. Because they had Kent Kingsley at that time, who was a really good lead-up forward. Um, Moons was was sort of playing a little bit in in the ruck, a little bit down back, and um, a little bit forward. But he'd said we we just want someone to play full forward and as a key forward. Mm. And spend Stephen King was was you know just won his second B and F I think around that time, and so he was the number one ruckman. Yeah. And so the expectation was that I'd go to the club as a forward, and that that never really panned out. You know, it sort of it was probably a little bit more of the same as of the previous few years. I sort of was, you know, I'd, I'd have a few good games and then I'd I never found a real level of consistency. I was always a, a ruckman that played a little bit forward as a, as opposed to the other way around. So um, it just evolved into, you know, eventually I started to play more time in the ruck and became a bit more consistent as a ruckman and then finished my career as, as pretty much a full-time ruckman. And that's probably where I've where I always felt like I play, probably played my best footy in as a natural footballer. I was a, always a ruckman, but... Um, I guess had the ability to go forward as opposed yep. to the other way around.
1: Whereas these days, you play as a ruckman, you can charge forward and not have to worry about your opponent, yeah, regardless of where the ball is. It's just I'm going forward.
2: Yeah, I was. Yeah, they got they got to run so much more now. Though I don't think I would have lasted five <laughs> minutes. But um, yeah, they it's it's a def, definitely a very different position now the ruck than what it what it was. They need to be big and strong and still be able to handle all that that contact and the collisions, but then they've also got to be able to run around like on ballers, so it's, um, it's a different But they've also
1: yeah. got to try and kick goals as well, and that was something you were very good at. But you, he was a very good ruckman, like a, an exceptional ruckman. And when you did go to Geelong, I thought, oh, do you know what? They, I reckon they've got him as their their ruckman because you know, your body works, boundary throw-ins and, and ball-ups and, and all of that. You're very good at hitting to advantage, As, you know, I'm sure if we interviewed Gary Ablett Jr., he'd be going, hey, (laughs) how good is it to have a ruckman who can actually do everything you want them to do and just give you that advantage to go and get the footy?
2: Well, it just became, you know, that became my, I'd sort of worked out. We were a very good team of guys who knew what their roles were and what they needed to do for the team. That's what became our probably our greatest strength, was that we just had guys who didn't really have to go out and, and dominate you know we had huge amounts of talent in our team but we had guys who were just happy to play whatever role they had to do to play for the team and Mm. and the ruck just became my role and i really enjoyed it It became i remember sitting down with bomber and i said i don't think i'm a forward i think i need to play i want to play in the ruck and and he said well Kingy's our ruckman but if you want to play in the ruck i'll play in the ruck and if you you got to get a kick and you got to do it you got to you got to get the job done and that was I felt like that was a bit of a turning point for me because I just felt like, you know, I, I found my spot, I found my little niche in the team, and then it, um, I, you know, I didn't feel like I had to do anything out of the ordinary. It was just do what I do, what I had to do to help my teammates, help our team win, and um, I think we all had a, an attitude like that, which helped us become a, a great team.
1: Yeah.
0: And in 2007, it really clicked for the Cats after a few stop-start seasons. I think that was the year everything came together after a slow start to the year. Ironically, a big win over Richmond turned the tables. You get to the prelim final. I've never heard the MCG louder than that prelim against Collingwood. There was not an empty seat in the house. And you arguably played the best game of your career. You kicked two goals, 23 disposals, 24 hit-outs. It was an arm wrestle all night. What are your memories about that victory?
2: Well, the... the the noise and the sound—that was probably the biggest, loudest crowd I reckon I ever played. the Loudest game I ever played in. I'd played a fair, fair bit. I'd played over 150 games by that stage. But I remember standing there thinking, "This is the biggest crowd I've ever seen," and it was. Um, took a little bit of time to sort of take that in a little bit and.
1: Cost you three or four touches. You only got 23 for the game, so <laughs> <laughs> as a ruckman. And then switch <laughs> on a bit, a bit early <laughs>
2: maybe, but um, yeah, I remember. Going into that final series, there was a huge amount of pressure. I remember the pressure built throughout the year because we we started the year really poorly. We were we were oh six had been a write off. We'd had a shocking year. There'd been a review that after that, Bomber nearly got sacked, and um, it was a, it was a, just a, a really it was a pretty r- rough time as a club collectively. And um, 07 started pretty poorly. We, we were two and three or something, and we had a you know we we had a really shocking start and. We had a a really good meeting at one stage, and we you know sort of ironed out a few had a really good discussions amongst the team, and um, managed to just turn things around. We won sixteen straight or something, and as the as the season went on, was a good meeting. Yeah, a good, it was just a, honest we, meeting. I guess it, we'd done a lot of work, like the the um, leading teams sort yep. of in the years leading up to that. So I guess it sort of slowly culminated. The guys we'd all played a lot of footy together by that stage, and you know a lot of got the the profile of everyone you know 100 games sort of un, you know everyone had sort of played either 100 or or more sort of almost so um we just it, it all came together at that time but as the season went on we were playing really well and were winning games by a lot you know you'd sort of almost got to the end of the year and it was it was we were playing it, we just thought we were going to win you just sort of felt like you you going to win and so as a, as the season kept going on like that the coming into the finals it was just this expectation we hadn't played we hadn't won a won a grand final in since 1963 so you know the and you know all those sort of lost grand finals in the 90s and um so i remember you know getting around the the town and stuff it was it was just this pressure this expectation that we were just going to go on and and win because we'd just we'd beaten everyone and we'd we just dominated the sort of second back sort of two-thirds of that season and so that you know we we Beat North, I think North Melbourne. Or we played North Melbourne in the first final, beat them, and and so came up against against Collingwood, who we were expected to to beat. So I just I just remember the two obviously had the week off before the prelim and thinking we just this everyone this is our game to lose basically. So um, I remember the pressure of the of the the occasion for the club and the, the history of what had, what the club had been through in the you know thirty or forty years before that, and it sort of slowly built up and built up and. Um, you know we and and Collingwood were amazing. That it was an amazing, probably the fastest paced game I can probably ever remember playing into. It was just a, a classic final. It was just to and fro, and we 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 were just we basically fell across the line in that game. We we um they threw everything at us, and we we were probably um you know there was moments sort of throughout the the last quarter where I thought we can't lose this because we've just you know, this—it's just going to break people's hearts, or whatever. And it's—it so was just a, an enormous sort of build-up, and and you know, to get across the line—that was probably our grand final in the end of that year. But just to, that was—that was—I um I remember it being a, such an important game for the club. So to win was was amazing.
0: And you played brilliantly. One of the best games you've ever played. Is it one of your fondest games? One of your fondest memories?
2: Yeah, I guess I guess it probably is one of them. Yeah, for sure, I am. Um, I mean, there was a there was a few of it. There was a lot of guys. Everyone, you know, I remember Gary. Little Gary was unbelievable in that game, and Joel Corey was incredible. Jimmy Bartell. There was some, you know, we. But yeah, for for me personally, I felt like it was probably one of my, one of my better games, and it was nice to do it on a on an occasion that was the, such a significant game.
1: We, As a Richmond supporter, how are you feeling when you're seeing someone that you had at your football club go and play so well, Quinny?
0: Well, I was very happy because I had the privilege of meeting Brad when he was at Richmond. He was an absolute gentleman, so therefore I was happy for him going forward. But I think the general consensus from Richmond supporters was annoyed at the club for buggering it up, and then you go on and do well, as opposed to angst against you for leaving. Did you sense that was an overall theme?
2: There was a little bit of that, yeah. I mean, there was definitely a few people that were, you know, I'd come across people that I'd never, never had any nasty experiences, but a lot of people just saying, oh, you know, just banter in the street or whatever it would have been nice to see you stay around and whatever so um but you know i think i think anyone who knows the situation knows that it was a two way street i wasn't playing all that well the the club got compensated pretty well for for me leaving so um yeah i don't think i don't think there was any there was i never felt any huge huge um, animosity from anyone even from within the club, I think it was pretty amicable the way it all went. And a little all-handed. quirk
0: you played more games for Richmond than Geelong, even though everyone thinks of you as this Geelong great.
2: Yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was, as I said before, it was smack bang in the middle of my career. I played seven years at both and, um, yeah, one or two more for, or a handful more for the Tigers. So, um, yeah, it's funny the way that it works out.
0: Here's a little quirk you'll like this one. He was the 999th player to ever play for Richmond and the 1,000th player to ever play for Geelong. Wow,
1: there you go. That's <laughs> pretty, a pretty cool stat. Pretty cool, yeah.
0: <laughs> now, the grand final, the weight of the world is on your shoulders. You've escaped from jail the week before against Collingwood, and then you're up against a port team that recently won a premiership and they steamrolled their way into the grand final. And it's almost like the media momentum switched from Geelong to the power. What was that week like leading up to the Grand East?
2: Yeah, as I said, it was a it was a lot of pressure um because you know we'd snuck snuck across the line against the um in the Collingwood game and and when I was said before we won 16 straight Port Adelaide actually beat us in round 21 or 22 um at home leading into that final series and they were the only team to beat us for since round 4 or something that year so there was a little bit there's a few demons I think you know we were, we were expected to win that game um but port adelaide had come into the game in great form um we we sort of matched up pretty well against them in the last in the couple of years previous we sort of had a couple of good matchups across the field that seemed to work pretty well for us um but i felt like i felt like beating collingwood at almost nothing was going to was going to stop us then i sort of felt like we just had to get over that um, get over that sort of hurdle and um it felt like going into the grand final there was probably you know maybe it's it's hindsight or whatever but felt like we were we were just destined to to probably to win that that year for whatever reason it just um i think winning the against collingwood the way that we did probably gave us a, a huge amount of confidence to grind out a win against a really good opposition that just felt like it didn't matter who we were going to play in the grand final that we were going to felt like we were going to win and um the the day panned out you know it was it was amazing the way the the game panned out in the end
0: 52 points up at halftime, Shane. You'd mm. think the crowd would be popping champagne bubbly in the crowd. That was not the case. It was still very, very tense. Geelong supporters were like, no, we've seen this movie before. We're not mm. celebrating.
1: We don't like one-sided games, but uh, especially in grand finals. But come on, once you're that far in front, you just the well, confidence of the group moving forward, especially in the second half, you just you just... Oh, boys Keep at it, mm. keep at it, but there's no coming back from there.
2: No, nah, well, halftime... It was, you know, we were still, you know, it didn't feel like the game was over. But I remember three-quarter time, we were up by oh, 70 or something, 70 points or whatever it was. And, and I remember Scarlo asking someone what the record, record margin for the winning grand <laughs> final was. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. But I, I, th- no, I well, felt "Oh, that's a fair like,
1: question, you know. It's like, hey, you're there to win. Well you know, and, and at I all remember costs, let's win, okay, now let's go for a record. Yeah, well and Why that not? was his yeah, you know, that was anyone yeah. who knows Scalo knows I love that's
2: it. his nature. It wasn't we was we weren't just gonna go out and run around and look at the crowd in the last quarter it was, you know, let's achieve something else and achieve more and um so I remember after quarter three quarter time feeling pretty confident at that stage, but um, and how, how we was it running on.
1: around in that quarter? Like it, it, oh, it was you just knew we we've won. We've won. And how does that feel as a player running around knowing? You, well, you know, probably know halfway through no, the, the last no, quarter of Definitely against campfire. you guys, you sort of don't know until the last five minutes. Like Geelong, no, don't <laughs> stop. But you've got the whole quarter just to go, hey, how's this? My family's in the mm. crowd. You know, all those snakes used to come into <laughs> the house. They're probably watching in front of the TV somewhere. Like, <laughs> how does it feel as a player to, to know you've won with a quarter to go?
2: It's a pretty unique experience. There's no doubt about that. I don't think that, you know, winning any premiership is is incredible, but to be able to have that luxury of being able to, I don't think, I don't think, for me, honestly, I didn't really take the take the chance to, to sort of suck it in as much as I wish I probably should, probably did in the end um, because you're sort of re- still respecting the game and your opposition and all those sorts of things. But um, I, do, I do, you know, I must admit there were times when I was just, I was thinking this is just, Something incredible and yep. something really special to be able to, to be able to have that luxury of just sitting back and you know particularly the probably the last couple of minutes we were just and the game the the sting was completely out of the game, so yep. um it was a yeah it was a hist- you know it was a historic day, and so it was it was something really special to be a part of for sure.
0: What about the scenes? What do you remember afterwards? I remember Billy Brownless bawling his eyes out and just saying it's relief now after all those losing grand finals. And no doubt you probably still get people coming up to you in the street from Geelong saying, I waited my whole life for this. It was just such a special day.
2: Yeah. And that was something that I think, you know, I think as I said, the year, the year sort of built so much that you could just tell how much it meant to, meant to everyone. And, you know, just flags in the in the windows of the street, you know, people's windows hanging out their cars and banners up in people in shop windows and it was you couldn't escape it so just to I remember I remember just appreciating how much it meant to so many people and um I remember seeing Kenny Hinckley in the rooms afterwards actually and he'd obviously gone through that period of of huge you know the disappointments of losing grand finals and and he was you know he was probably as emotional of, as about about it as anyone was and so just to see people like that who you knew and loved and had spent so much time around, and Billy was obviously in there and um and you know corporate people from around the club and people behind the scenes and the the you know the the club and the the boots that you know all the property guys and these people who just were that's what they that's what footy's all about when you win and and how much it means to all to everyone you know us as players as well and the coaches and everything it means it means a huge amount to us and our families but yeah it was pretty special um just to be able to I just remember just ultimate relief after that game, and just because we we so much was expected, and, and so it had been such a build up, and then we could just we just sat back, and it was almost the, the celebrations were pretty subdued, really, because it was just such a time to just to reflect on how much you know how long it had been since the club had been successful, and um, and to be able to be a part of it was was an amazing privilege.
0: G'day, punters. Once again, we're going to Tab's leading bookmaker, Bart Kennett, for the Sunday play. Bart, what have we
3: got this week? We're offering $4.50 for Nick Larkey and Toby Green to combine for seven or more goals on Sunday afternoon. Now, this game will be played under the roof at Marble, so with perfect conditions, we should see plenty of goals. Nick Larkey's averaging 2.8 goals alone this year under the roof, whilst Toby's been in red-hot form since returning from his suspension, averaging 2.5 goals a game for the season. Now, it's the third game for interim coach Mark McVay, who looks to have brought a more attacking style of play to the Giants. How do you see this one playing out, Croft?
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think it'll be a shootout, perfect conditions under the roof and plenty of goals, so it uh, looks a winner to me. Thanks for that, Bart. Thanks for that, Crawford. And remember,
0: Punders, you can find the offer on the Tab app. Offer available online only. Price subject to change and subject to liability cap. No multi-bonus cash cash-out, partial cash-out or live bets qualify. See market page for details. Gamble responsibly. Gambler's help.
4: 1-800-858-858. The winter chill is in the air, but the AFL is only heating up. And with Tab's same game multi, you can combine your favourite AFL markets like head-to-head, total points, and anytime goal scorer, all in the one bet to get bigger odds. Available on every AFL game played this round. Check it out on the Tab app today. Tab, long may we play.
3: Gamble responsibly. Call Gamblers Help one 800 858 858
0: we fast forward twelve months and you're back there, Grand Final day, two thousand and eight. A beautiful sunny day at the MCG, and you're up against Shane Crawford and the Hawks. His final game. The Cats are pretty clear favourite once again. What was the lead up like there?
1: But there, there, there would have been pressure because I, I felt that even on um, you know during the parade, that you know I saw Cameron Mooney had a, you know, Moons had a steely look on his face, and you know there was pressure. Everyone was expecting. Geelong just to win which mm. winning flags doesn't happen like that you got to be the best team on the day regardless of what happens during the year so there would have been a lot of pressure and expectation that it's just going to happen
2: well definitely Kroff, I think ironically that was probably our most consistent season I yeah. reckon you know we won yep. I'm not sure we we must have only lost a two or three games throughout the year we just we won we just dominated the season and so you know, we had the expectation of '07 that you know this build-up of sort of hope and whatever. Whereas '08 was almost just like, this is just going to happen again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so there was definitely, I don't think you can really um, identify that in the moment. I think I feel like I didn't, we didn't anyway. And so in hindsight, you look back at it, and we were definitely just, you know, we were probably in the mindset that ourselves that it was just going to happen. So. Um, we came up against an amazing team who was just on 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 their in the, had their best game and and we were we were off and and that was all it took we just we just couldn't get a stranglehold back on that game and um and so it was the ultimate sort of you know accomplishment and and sort of fulfillment of 07 then just became this ultimate disappointment of of what we sh- you know everyone expected us to 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 do in 08 just didn't happen the way that Everyone expected it, it would. So um, I remember it was a pretty low time. Um, I look back. I, you know, I, I've never watched that game, but I, I reflect on it, and there was. I don't really ever feel like it, we lost the game. I felt like the Hawks just played were too good for us on the on the day, and that happens in footy. But um, I remember being being re, being pretty devastated personally about um, you know footy's. Someone wins and someone loses. I don't. I've always been reasonably pragmatic with that, but I remember just the the disappointment in people. You know, we spoke about all the people being how, how special it was in 07, It was you could tell it was pretty devastating for a lot of people in 08, So um yeah, that was that was probably that was definitely definitely brings you back to earth when you lose a grand final, that's for sure.
1: But I always I always say that Yep, you lost. And but you had an amazing year that year, as you said, which you did an incredible year as a team. And then the following year, I said, yeah, but you know what? I said, if they if they had have won that in 208, I don't think you win the next year because you had that, that drive and that mental capacity to really push mm. each other and push yourselves. And unfortunately for St Kilda, they were on the end of it. You know, it was that amazing match, you know, where is it Gary Ablett, Zach Dawson almost mm-hmm. spoils Gary Ablett, you know, gets the... uh Gets a little toe poke in, and then Chappie kicks the goal, and you win by a goal or, or or two goals, virtually on the siren. But if you win the year before, you probably don't push each other mm. to do that again. St cool Kilda have their their premiership glory and break the drought. That's what I think.
2: I think that's you've. I think it's spot on. You know, I think the oh 0- eight could have could have done could have gone two one of two ways. It could have really s- sort of disintegrated our, our club and our Confidence in our culture it could have guys could have become really bitter and turned on each other a little bit, but I think it probably did the exact opposite. Where we just, you know, it was a it was a huge disappointment. Um, we were beaten by a better team and in a game that we were expected to win. And then I think we just came back to the club that year and we just basically did it again. And we did. Oh nine was was probably pretty similar to oh eight in in respect to home and the home and away season. We would we were pretty formidable that year and. Um, I think yeah you, you're, you're definitely right that that disappointment and the you know, even the benefit of experience of losing playing and losing a grand final was definitely something that that we could draw on going into that game and particularly when the game was on the line, it was you know there's there's a fair um, motivation to not have to go through what we went through in08 and, and to be able to, to be able when that game was really there to be won. Um, to draw on that was was probably pretty pivotal in the end.
1: And is it true, uh, Mark Thompson said, three quarter time. Remember how you felt this mm. time last year. It, that's all you pretty much need to say, isn't <laughs> it?
2: Yeah, he said that a few times throughout the year. But, but that he, yep. that was, a, he, you know, it, that was basically all he said at, th- at three quarter time. Was this is you know, this could happen again, and it's and it, it was. Um, as I said, it was it was something pretty. Pretty significant to uh, motivating to draw on on that experience.
1: Or you, you could see it. You could actually see it. Um, you know, and and I'd say when the Sydney Swans beat the Hawks a few years later in the Grand Final, it was all in their heads. Mm. Like they just they wanted it. Like a, there was no way that they were going to lose. Mm. You know, without actually putting their lives on the line and doing that. You could see that with your side mm. um, in two oh nine. You really could. You know, especially being someone who'd played against you. And understanding, you know, you can just see, no, nah, there's no way that they're going to lose this. They're mm. going to find a way, and you did.
2: Which, and you know, to be honest, that was probably the exact opposite the year before. We didn't have that, and you, and you guys did, and and that's all. You know, footies. There's not there's not much between winning and losing, and um, that that passion and that sort of spirit, and that was something that I felt like became and was a huge strength of ours was that we just, we we had a lot of, so many games throughout that period where, where we, we could have lost the game, but we had that, I don't know, it was just, it's hard really to, to sort of quantify what it is, but it's like a, a max rook factor almost, you know, that, that, uh, that just competitive edge or, you know, to be able to win games that just, that we, that were, you know, could have gone either way. We had an amazing ability to win those games. So, um, yeah, there's no doubt that we didn't have that in 08 and we, and we, Probably were able to draw on that 08 experience going into 2009 and, and beyond. You know, even going beyond that, it was definitely something that motivated all of us as, as a as a club collectively, but individually. I think it was something we probably drew on a lot over the years.
0: The 2009 Grand Final, Brad. I often say it's the forgotten Grand Final. It gets overlooked when we talk about Which the one? classics. 2009.
1: Oh, okay.
0: You're mocking me. No, you I weren't going to say 2008.
1: But no, no, no. It, it was a great Grand Final.
0: But it doesn't seem to get the accolades. I don't know why.
1: It was a pretty rough
2: day. I remember it being, you know, wet and cold, and there was a bit of a scrap. And uh, that's
1: what you want. That's what you want in a grand final. Uh, like you, you want a contest, mm. and it was a contest.
2: That was the hardest game I ever played in that that game. It was just a. I remember it, but it was a day like this. It was ten degrees, and it was freezing, and it was just, you know, it was a. It was just a scrap, and I don't know whether that's got anything to do with it. Um, people probably remember the games with the big you know, the big school lines and whatever. But yeah, that was, that was just, it was, it was amazing. It was just such a, we were, we were sort of in, at, almost at the height of our powers, you know, the, as a Cats team, we were all, you know, we had had, oh, that period, obviously oh eight oh nine I think was probably our two best years. And so, um, you know, but St but Kilda were probably a bit the same. They had those, they had all that, yeah that star power that just, they were hitting their straps, they were just in the, probably the their, Physical peak as well, so um, it was the two best teams just coming together, and just it was a bit of it was just a big grind that day from my memory.
0: If two thousand and seven was relief, how would you describe two thousand and nine?
2: Satisfying, <laughs> yeah, it probably was pretty sat- After oh eight, it was um, it was definitely yeah satisfying. It was probably relief again to to fall over the line in that game. Um, yeah, just a it was. I just remember being totally. Just exhaustion. I remember um, Charlie Gardner, um, Michael Gardner. Sorry, um, he. I went to a boundary throwing, and he just lined me up and kneed me flush in my in my coccyx bone. So oh. I think it was must have broken it. Or if it wasn't broken, it was. And I remember after the game, yeah, you know, he's sort of enjoying the game, whatever. My wife and I had booked a flight to Europe about three four days after the 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 grand final um so we'd had the bnf and the next day we flew out and I couldn't I, was, I couldn't sit on the plane for 28 hours or whatever it takes to get to london i was i was walking laps around the around the plane cuz <laughs> I, I had this broken cockpit or whatever it was and but i remember just being the most exhausted sort of sore after after any game that i'd ever played in because it was just such a grueling sort of you know match up so that was just yeah the memory was probably just relief as much as anything
0: and just to continue the dynasty, in 2011, all year it's about Collingwood. They're the reigning premiers. Then late in the season, you guys say, not sure about that. You knock them off at the end of the home and away season, and then you come up against Collingwood on grand final day. In terms of the previews for the grand finals, that was one where half the people thought Geelong would win, half the people were tipping Collingwood. So there was probably no pressure on either side.
2: Yeah, I remember going into that year thinking that was that was Scotty's first year um, after Bomber had left and... Um, People were, were probably expecting us leading into the year that we were going to start to tail off, I guess. We were, we were getting older as a team and um, maybe past our prime. So I remember throughout the whole of the year, it was probably everyone was sort of just sitting waiting for us to drop off. And and we managed to, you know, we managed to string. We did really well throughout the home and away year. We weren't as dominant as probably the previous years, but um, Collingwood had had obviously come off a premiership in 2010. They were probably... They were probably the next up and coming sort of team that were going to be around for a long time, and so there was definitely, you know, I definitely remember going to that that grand final thinking we were it was going to have to be, you know, almost one of those games where you thought, always probably leading up to that stage of up to 2011, we always thought that our best would probably beat anyone, but in 2011 it was almost thought if if Collingwood are at their best, they're going to be they're as hard to beat as anyone at that time, so. There was probably uh, there was a fair bit of doubt going into that game but um i think there was definitely there was a feeling of that it was probably a last you know a last chance for a lot of us to play to be in this, to achieve that ultimate success again for whether whether that's just me in hindsight or what but um it felt like it was it was a little bit of a turning point it might have been the last chance for us um, a lot of guys were considering retirement and fin- you know finishing up and whatever so um, I, I feel like that maybe was a was a motivating factor as much as anything. Co- Collingwood was sort of had just one, come off a winning campaign in 2010, and um, whereas we had that sort of steely edge that it was, you know, there was a there was that that sort of edge of guys of, of the end of an era or something, something like that. So um, yeah, there was definitely a feeling, a lot of doubt going into that game though, for sure.
1: Still, a lot of fight, obviously left. Though you know, when you got so much experience, you'd been through the absolute highs, and you'd been gutted at certain points. So you just knew, hey, boys, let's just go. And and you had so when when you think about those cat sides, unbelievable sides. You know, Joel Corey, Corey Enright, um, Matthew Scarlett. You know, fullback of the century, Mm. I would say he was, and he had that. He just hated losing. Mm. You know, Um, I was lucky to go overseas with him to Ireland to to play Gaelic rules he just didn't want to lose like he he's just like no nah, there's no way I'm going to lose I'm like gee you would love to play with mm-hmm. someone like that and then you got you know as you said Jimmy Bartell Cameron Ling who plays an unbelievable role you know for the side and and then the great Gary Ablett Jr was he was he the best you ever played with yeah
2: he was yeah he was he was the best the most naturally gifted person player that I played alongside we mentioned Richo before he was he yep. was up there I felt like he was the guy he was one of the guys that um you know when I reflect on my career he was the sort of person that could just if he was up and going no one yeah. no one would have ever stopped him um but Gaz and Gaz and Richo and Scalo was up there Two Scalo um those those three were probably the standouts in, in the guys that I was lucky enough to play alongside
0: yeah Brad, we've spoken about Gary Ablett Jr we've spoken about Gary Ablett Sr tell us about Nathan Ablett such a talented player but such a quirky individual as well
2: yeah he was he was just a real gentle soul nath he was um, I, I felt like nath had all the ability had everything he needed to play footy but he just didn't really really want to i felt like that was it wasn't something that meant that much to him and he didn't really it, you know footy's footy's not for everyone and and um, doesn't matter how much ability you've got it just, it's, you gotta, you gotta w- want to be there. And he, I think he just, ultimately, he was experienced, he experienced footy and did did his bit and, and thought, that's, oh, you know, I'd rather, rather go and do my own thing. And he, um, and he, you know, from what I can gather, we, you know, we had the 07 reunion and Nath, Nath showed up for a while and, and he was, you know, I don't <laughs> sense that there's any regret or, or anything. I think he just, he just simply felt that, um, footy, Footy was great, but it was. There's more to life, and and I re- really respected that about Nath because he was, you know, so so many people you come across in footy that just their life is, you know, they're in this bubble of, of footy, and it just everything consumes you, and it's pr- part of that. You have to you have to be like that in some ways to be able to get the most out of yourself. But for Nath, he just sort of, you know, there was stories of him. He would He'd go like there'd be a good rain and that someone would see him in the creek in Torquay catching eels in the creek, <laughs> you know, and, and like you know he came to the reunion, but then he he went and played social basketball after after he'd been there for about an hour or so, and then he said, "No, I've got a basketball game in Geelong that he wanted to go and play," and I just thought that's that's brilliant. Like yep. I think that's because like he's just you know, living the life the, yeah.
1: the way that he wants to, and you know, unfortunately with football you you got to be all in, you mm. know, and it's not it's not that way for a lot of players. And we see a lot of players that come, <laughs> it's like, oh, gee. it's, you know, they're a bit laconic with yeah. the way they go about it, but it's just, it's just their makeup. It's the way they I are. I think,
2: I think it frustrated. that frustrated a lot of people with Nath because, because mm. he was such an important part of our team. Like oh seven he played, kicked three goals in a grand final and, and he, but he was such an important part of our team, but there'd be, you know, but there was a frustration that maybe one day, some days he'd show up and he wasn't really that interested or, um, I never really got the feeling that he showed up to games and didn't try, didn't didn't try his best. I, he never, I, I never would have accused him of that. I think, um, I just think he just, yeah, as you say, Croft, he he didn't, he didn't, wasn't everything for him, and that ultimately was the reason why he didn't hang around footy. Um, but I'd, I've got the ultimate respect for someone who has this pathway laid out for him, and they say, here, this is what you've got. You could have this, and he sees it in his own brother. He's just got this, this. like he saw Gaz was just this megastar, and he could have been just as good. You know, he was he had all the ability, but he just went. No, I don't. I don't particularly want that. I I want to go and. want to go and
1: catch some eels. Well, he went and you know he just <laughs> yeah. went
2: and travelled and did, did all sorts of different things that yep. you know, and it just wasn't wasn't his thing. So I I just reckon that's um that's someone who's really true to themselves and knows what they want in life, and he and he just sort of felt like footy wasn't fulfilling him in ways that he wanted, so he went and did something else so I've, yeah it was um i've never met anyone else in footy like nath he was he was definitely he was a really gentle sort of soul who who um yeah he you know he was but it was great to it was really it was great to be a part of you know in a team with him and, and his brother and and see his old man around the club they're just icons it's the name that'll bear synonymous with footy forever. So, yeah, you, know, you feel lucky to be in teams with guys like that, for sure.
0: And, Brad, we've been very lucky to have a chat to you today. We're going to finish with two questions. Favourite win outside of a premiership and the best spray you ever heard from a player or coach? Favourite
2: win favourite win was probably either my first game, I think. Um, we mentioned that before. Um, or my first win for Geelong. In my in, in the first game for Geelong, we played Brisbane at um at home. Um actually we played Richmond, sorry, at, at the G, which which was, was one that um is probably resonates with me and I sort of might probably think of most fondly. Um greatest spray. Um Spud was Spud, <laughs> <laughs> Spud gave some great sprays. Well
1: Spud told me a story once and I, I reckon I've asked someone about it on this show. Um where he it, w- it wasn't going to plan. It was disaster, and he's just trying to lift the mood. So he came into a meeting at the footy club, you know, during the week, and he, one of those big um, air compressors oh. to pumps, yeah. And he's come in and it's, he's it's about 100 kilos, and he's lifting it over his head in front of the all you players. <laughs> And he goes, "What am I? What am I?" And he said to Wayne Kemp, "What am I?" And I don't know. And he goes, "I'm under the pump." <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? It's true. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's true. Because I didn't believe. I said you did not. And he goes, oh, "I said that's fantastic, oh, said, mate." There was that was
2: towards the end when things had just gone off the rails, and so there's yep. you know media parked out the outside the club, and it's just things going from bad to worse. We lost out ten in a row, or whatever. And, and we, and that was, you know, back, that was when Spud would give some of his best sprays because it just was, you know, things were going pretty bad. so um, yeah, <laughs> There was comes footage of his, him
1: opening the coach's box and abusing <laughs> one of the spectators <laughs> and then slamming the door. I love that. Oh, it was great. That was one of,
2: that was the greatest thing about Spud. He's, you know, he was um, so passionate and so, so you know, just you never knew what you were going to get. So yeah. it was, um the spray I remember was, um we were in the old MCG rooms and he'd, um, you know we, things weren't going great at half time. We had this whiteboard that we used to get filled up with all these words and whatever, and all the you know all the stuff that's team magnets and everything um but for some reason, there wasn't enough room, so they had this sort of makeshift little fold up whiteboard next to it with a bit of extra stuff that we needed to know anyway, he's in the middle of his spray, and he's just pick people out and you see you know but you know those days are like, you're sort of duck in your head, hoping you don't get singled out or whatever and and then he's just, as he's starting to wind up, he just lines up this whiteboard and just backhands it, like, cross, like, just for a bit of extra effect. And this thing's built, like, just this flimsy little frame and whatever. And so it just, the whole thing just folds in <laughs> half. And it's half snaps and falls onto the ground. And he keeps going and he's spraying, like, bits of this whiteboard going everywhere and he and he still hasn't finished with it. He picks the whiteboard up, leans it against the wall <laughs> and props it up against the wall and then puts his foot straight through it so it just snaps in half and, like, this thing's just... By <laughs> the end of it, the thing's just disintegrated. And then he sort of finishes his spray and then at the end of it he says, "Oops, we might need a new whiteboard, I think, mate. <laughs> <laughs> And then we went out, you know, after... The, that was our halftime meeting, so that was probably one that stands uh, out. But he was... Um, he was, a, yeah, he was a wonderful character, Spaden. There, there was a million stories like that about him, and
0: absolutely sensational. Loved by all, Brad. We've loved having a chat. Thank you so much today, Brad Odden, Shane Crawford. Been great fun, guys.
1: Thanks, good, good on you, Brock. Brad.
3: What? Wow. Wow.